0: Talking with Tech is sponsored by Q-Interactive, Pearson's iPad-based system for testing, scoring, and reporting. Experience unheard of efficiency and client engagement with 20 top tests, all delivered digitally. You can sign up for a free 30-day trial at pearsonclinical.com TWT18. Um, after that 30 days, if you want to go ahead and use it. Call 1-800-627-7271 and give them promo code TWT18 to get 10% off the Q Interactive license. Uh, This is only good through the end of the year, December 31st, 2018, so try it now. Welcome back once again to Talking With Tech. My name is Luke Stuber, joined as always by the fantastic Rachel Madel. How are you?
1: I'm doing so good. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. And of course, Chris Begay, how are you?
2: I'm a little bit sad today. I'm not at closing the gap. Did ah.
0: you
1: get to
2: go? Did either of you get to go to closing the gap? No, i did so not.
0: But I always say at the beginning of the episodes, uh, joined as always by Chris and Rachel, but I have actually been the as seldom recently, and so I apologize. I am so thrilled to be here um with you folks uh talking about something that we've intended to do for for quite a while now, which is to answer some uh some listener questions, right?
2: That's right. No interview today. It's just us and uh us kind of reading the mailbag and what people have been commenting on and asking specific questions to that they wanted covered in uh in podcast episodes. So that's what we're gonna do today, right, Rachel?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited and um you know i just checked on facebook we posted this on our group which if you haven't joined already please go search talking with tech and and join our facebook group but nobody nobody left any comments with questions um luckily we still we still get some comments through email and i get them on on my instagram a lot um so we definitely have a lot of questions to answer but um definitely join our group because it's it's where we're having a lot of these conversations and um it's a great place to to post a question just so you can get the, the group feedback.
0: Yeah, know, which is funny because we actually do get a, a, a large number of questions, but for some reason that, that one post. So please, please do. We, we love getting questions and we'll often answer them just directly. But um, there were some that we selected today that we thought would be helpful for a lot of people to hear. Um, similarly, uh, you know, if you, if you have a question, we love when you post in the group, like Rachel said, because then other people can see it and participate and see the answer. But I do also want to say that if you have a question that you're not comfortable asking publicly, you know, do feel free to message, this, message the group or to message us and, you know, we could also post it on your behalf.
1: Yeah, and I was telling people um, that I was talking to through social media, I don't have to use your name, right? Like, if you just want this to be anonymous, that's fine. We just really are curious about what questions are coming up in your practice and what you're thinking about from an AAC standpoint. So um, just let us know if you have a question but you don't want to share your name.
0: So what are uh, some burning questions here? Uh, Rachel, do you wanna kick us off?
1: Yeah, so I have one um, from Gia, who's actually from Pennsylvania. Um, so she says, so from all of my efforts in the past two years, I feel I've truly found a calling with AAC and decided I'd like to specialize in this area. I had created a presentation to train families and staff and was so proud of myself when I held the trainings last year, but I have realized I've only skinned the surface. There's a lot more I can slash should slash need to be doing, especially with my families. In addition to the laundry list of ideas I have, I've thought about starting a small business for consulting with families to implement and support AAC in their everyday lives. I realize I do not have experience with a wide range of devices and systems. All I really know is Polopo. I don't have experience with the assessment trialing process of AEC. And lastly, I never even thought about the ethics piece associated with it, mentioned in your interview with Carol Zangari. Basically, during the day, I get so excited at the thought of helping support my students and their families through this potential consulting business idea. But by the time I rest my head on my pillow at night, I'm doubting myself, feeling like I still have way too much to learn in order to truly be effective. So I guess my question is, how do I get experience with these things? When will I know I'm ready to take the next step of potentially starting my own little business specializing in AAC to help students beyond what I'm doing at school? I see a true need and have such a deep passion, but I guess I feel inadequate and lost at times. This question really touched my heart from Gia, because I think that we all you know, have had moments of doubt and uncertainty, and I still have them in my own practice. So when I was responding to her question, because I did send her an email follow-up, I said, first things first. Having doubts about, you know, your knowledge and expertise—that's um, a normal process that we all go through. Um, what do you guys think?
0: I just—I love this question so much because it—you uh, know—it captures—it captures that feeling that I think so many people go through, right? And it's there's like this, um, you know, initiation kind of hump that you know I think anybody goes through when they're um, starting a small business or starting to profess themselves as a consultant or an expert or whatever. Big piece of it is just um, imposter syndrome, right? Like feeling like. Like what right do I have, you know, to be, to be giving this advice or whatever. You know, I mean, the honest truth is that you don't shake that. Right. I mean, we record this every single Friday and every Friday before I get on, I sit here and think, Oh my gosh, like number one, I'm lucky to be doing this. But number two, like who the heck am I? But the reality is that what you you just you got to the best way to start is to start, right? I mean, what a cheesy thing to say, but that's what you have to do. It's the same thing we ask of our students every day, right? Get out there and start doing it. And if you truly really feel that you need a you know some more mentorship or whatever, then seek that out, right? One funny thing about um you know, for example, the well-known people in our field like, you know, the, the Warren Enderses or the Carol Zingaris, is that you'd actually be surprised how little email they sometimes get because everybody sits there and says, "Oh my gosh, I'm too nervous to email" Carol Zangari, right? So just email them, email us, email, you know, email anybody, email Noam Chonsky, I don't care. Just start contacting people and seek out that mentorship. And, um, and you know, in the meantime, and you put yourself out there.
1: And that was something that I actually told her, I said, listen, you need to create a network. Um, so, and if there's no network, start your own. Uh, so just finding other people in the area that Are interested at the very least about AAC or specialize in it. Um, So I think that being around other AAC specialists is so important. It's really hard to do though. Uh, You know, and we talk about this all the time in the podcast. I think it was last week's episode, Chris, I was listening back to the, you know, banter we had before. And I said, when do you get the chance to spend so much time with somebody who also specializes in in AAC? Um, Typically, you know, we're the, You know, the people coming in and trying to teach everybody about AAC um, were not necessarily around other SLPs who are doing AAC. So I think that's the first step is just making sure that you have a community. Um, And now with technology and Zoom, all these things make it so easy to connect with other practitioners. Um, So I would just encourage you if you don't have that network to start one, Um, just reach out to people, um, start a Facebook group. I did the same thing when I moved to Los Angeles. I started a Facebook group for Los Angeles-based speech therapists, and it has almost 200 members now. Um, and We host a brunch, you know, every f- few months. And um, so I just, it, technology makes things easy to connect.
2: So I think that's a unanimous vote from all three of us that you should definitely start today. I couldn't agree more, Rachel, that um, you need to build, I think in the educational space, they call it a personal learning network or a professional learning network. But when you put yourself at the center and you have all these different spokes that come off of this visualization, right? So you can maybe go to Facebook, you can go to Twitter, you could go to Instagram, you could go to your podcast, you could read books, you could um, uh, go to conferences and you make connections in all these different ways to grow your own professional knowledge. But, oh my gosh, Lucas, you stole the words that were right in the front of my tip of my tongue, front of my brain. Yes. Uh, the imposter syndrome, right? That's not unique to AAC. That's not unique to uh, speech language pathologies. That is every profession. You know, any starting writers, like, well, I can't be as good as like that person over there, right? But you, you have to start today, and you'll get better and better and better, and you just keep learning and you keep practicing and you'll know more than uh, other people, and you will just continue to learn. Uh, Another listener uh, wrote me, uh, just sent me an email, and said, Chris, I want you to know I was doing planks, and I was listening to the podcast, and as I'm sitting there listening and doing my plank, I'm screaming at the episode, agreeing with what you guys were saying, right? She goes, because I just moved to this new part of the country, and I was looking for a new job. Uh, She's a speech therapist. And um, she was looking specifically for early intervention work. And when she went to this one place to apply, they were like, what's core vocabulary? Because she mentioned in an interview, and they're like, we're not sure what core vocabulary is. And she's like, oh, I could really help you here, you know? And she started to talk about core vocabulary. And then she realized, wait a second, because she had that same fear, right? The same imposter syndrome, like, I'm gonna go in, and they're gonna know everything, and I don't know anything, but she had a lot to offer. So I would say to the same thing that Rachel and Lucas said, Start today, trust yourself, continue to grow, continue to actively learn by creating that network and seeking out opportunities. Do it, just don't wait, do it.
0: Right, and and I, I guess, I guess what, sorry, Rachel, see, we have so much to say about this, we're like talking over each other. Um, uh, you know, not to keep on throwing out platitudes here, but I, I really love the whole saying that perfect is the enemy of good, right? And um, if you ever do find yourself in a situation where you, you feel like you are the utmost authority and you're completely qualified, then I assure you that you are wrong. And um, it's, it's totally okay to, to never feel like that because you know what that means is that you're learning and growing.
1: And I think the other important thing to remember is to just be transparent. You know, when I was first starting out, I knew that I had a lot to learn, but I was open about what I knew. And, and at the end of the day, AAC, yes, we, we have to know about the apps and the systems and all these kind of technical details, but it's language therapy. It really is language therapy and that's what you are good at um, so I would just encourage Gia to remember that you're good at what you do and I've said that to parents I say listen I don't know every single app and every single technical detail but what I do know is how to implement AAC and I do know how to get kids talking using any system um, and I think that's what's really important to communicate to the families that you might potentially start working with um, you know because I mean I could spend all all day every day learning all these different systems and technicalities but that's not really a good use of my time um, you know i'd rather just start like hit the ground running and get started because that's when you're really going to see an impact and you learn as you go if, if it's a system that you've never worked with Gia said to she works primarily with pro loco to go You know, don't be afraid to take on that lamp case or um, touch chat because it's an opportunity for you to learn and to grow and to continue to fill out that expertise so you can continue to keep growing and learning.
2: Yep, There's never been a better day to learn than today right? Like today there's more content available than there was yesterday. And there'll always be more. So if you suddenly you're like, you're feeling like this kid is probably like a auditory switch user. How am I going to find information about, well, guess what? You know, you can do auditory scanning and you can find that information out there because it's readily available out on the internet, you know? So like I said, start today. There's no reason not to.
1: Awesome. So should we hop into another question?
0: Sure. Yeah, I think we could probably talk about that one for a long time so next one
1: <laughs> okay this one comes from Jerica. she actually posted in our Facebook group um, so if you haven't check it out because she includes the links to videos that she's talking about in this question hey guys just opened an AAC practice here in Orange County California and I love your podcast I wanted to ask your thoughts on the videos released by Pyramid Pex um, and their stance on core words maybe you already have touched on this in one of your episodes if so could you direct me toward it thanks and keep up the Good work in our little AAC world. Um, so we thought that we would kind of open a, a discussion about the videos that she posted. So as I mentioned, go to our Facebook group and check them out because they're worth watching, um, and it'll give you more context as to you know kind of the dialogue that we're gonna that we're about to have.
2: Yeah. I mean to give a little synopsis of what the videos talk about is that they they basically come out and say There's a there's a part one video and a part two video. So that's these two videos Uh, They're titled pecs and core vocabulary, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then pecs and core vocabulary part two and the idea is in the first video Uh, they really talk about how early developmental language does not mesh with core vocabulary. Meaning, if you were to draw a big uh, Venn diagram of the uh, first words a student says or a first words a child says and then core vocabulary, there would be maybe an overlap, but they're not the exact same circles, right? And so what they're sort of pointing out is, so you wouldn't necessarily start teaching core vocabulary to a student, you might start with certain fringe vocabulary, and maybe pair it with core vocabulary, but you definitely start with the fringe. I mean, you think I'm saying that right?
1: Yeah, no, I think that that was kind of the gist of it. Um, for me, it was, it felt very methodical. In a in a detrimental way, it was saying you know when we get to 275 content words, then we can start introducing core, and then you know it's about 400 content words, and there are all these numbers about when we should be introducing core vocabulary. Um, And we've talked on the podcast about core vocabulary, and we've also talked about fringe vocabulary, and you know there's there's a place for both. Um, I think that that's the important thing to remember is that. It's not all about core, and it's not all about fringe. Um, you know, there's a balance that needs to be that needs to be had when you're talking about the kinds of vocabulary that we're targeting for early AAC users. Um, and so, I don't know. I just I feel like it was too formulaic for me. Um, you know, because I just think that yes, we need guidelines as to what words to introduce and things like that, and we can look to the research that. Um, you know, that we have out there that talks about typical toddlers and what words they're using. And, you know, as we know, there's a lot of core words in in, in there Um, and high frequency words. But I do think that there's a place for fringe. Um, And I think especially when you're starting off, and I've said this on the podcast before, Fringe is really motivating and concrete. So if that's where we need to start to get buy-in for a device and to have a child initiating communication, then I'm all for that. It's great if you can use a child's most motivating things. Um, But I think that we get stuck there. And I think that's the problem is that you know we start with fringe, but then we're stuck. We're stuck in the mud. And we need to remember that fringe vocabulary doesn't get us very far linguistically. We need core vocabulary to create sentences and to, you know, really give the tools to say whatever, you know, we want to say. We have that luxury. So I think it's just an important reminder that we can't forget about the core.
0: If you're not exposed to these words, these core words, whether or not they're part of your inventory at that time, they're never going to become part of your inventory, right? Because you're you're not seeing them, you're not hearing them. So... I'm forgetting where this quote comes from, and I apologize to the person who said it, but um, it is safe to assume that every child that we work with wants to say more than they can. We, we need to sort of assume that and provide them with the tools, even if they're not taking advantage of them at
1: first. And the other thing, too, is that in the video, it talks about introducing words. Um, and that's where I got really hung up, because first of all, that's very vague. What does that mean? Introducing words. Does that mean, you know, specific targets that you're going to work towards? Hi, everybody. This is my friend, the word the. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What an interesting Sesame introduction. Street. <laughs> um, but, you know, or does that mean modeling? Because I think it's very, it, it, it needs to be defined. You know, we know that we need to start introducing um, exposure to core words really early on, knowing that it might take some time for kids to start using that language. Um, You know, we don't wait to introduce typically developing kids to all the words, right? Um, We don't censor ourselves with typically developing kids. So we shouldn't be only focusing on a select amount of words to be modeling and, and providing, because how else are kids gonna learn these words? I talk about this all the time. Core words are abstract. They take lots of experiences to understand. Um, so if we don't give kids those experiences, then of course they're not gonna use them. Um, but I think that the key is it's it's a long game sometimes with core words, but it's worthwhile. Um, you know, and we know, we know from research that core words are effective. It just, sometimes they take more time and they're not a quick, they're not a quick fix. Like, you know, sometimes if you introduce fringe, it can, it can feel like, Oh wow. Like they got it right away. Um, you know, that doesn't always happen with four words, but, um, it does happen eventually. So something
2: else that, especially the second video points out is they talk about aided language stimulation and they say that two of the requirements to use aided language stimulation it to be an effective strategy. Is for that the, the person you're working with needs to be attending and they need to have the ability to imitate. And I'm not sure that is a true statement. In the, the first case is, I mean, yes, they, they need to be attending, but so often I'm not sure that a student is when they are and when they are not attending. Uh, when I am looking at something, because I, as far as I know, don't have any sort of impairment, I'm, I'm getting eye contact, I'm looking at the thing I'm looking at right now, I'm looking at Lucas and Rachel on the screen, and so you know I have, we, we have attention. but. If I was kind of looking off in the distance and kind of just spaciously looking around, does that mean that I'm not attending to what Rachel or Lucas is saying? No, I might still be. You just don't know that, right? And so I think that often, I hear that a lot from teachers. It's like, yeah, he's not really paying attention to it. He's not I'm like, you don't know that he's not paying attention, so just model, right? Uh, that's number one. And number two, the the whole uh, imitating, when we talk, we've mentioned this before on the podcast too, I'm gonna say it again, just what you said, Rachel, little babies are born. We start modeling to them from the second they come out, right? And we're talking and they're immersed in this language. And we don't have joint attention. They're not imitating, but they're steeped in the language from the second they're they they're born. And so the same thing goes back to what you are saying about introducing. I can still model and model and model. It's making me a better practitioner of knowing where the words are on the system. And I'd be more fluent and better modeler for the student the more I use it. I'm doing it with the student, right? The students, there in the in the environment, so they're learning the vocabulary. It's, I'm introducing it to them, you know? I wouldn't wait.
0: I, you know, just on the topic that you brought up about um, how kids are noticing more than we realize, I, I realize there's, there's a, a really brief story that I've never told on this podcast because it's not AAC-specific, so forgive me, but it's, it's very relevant. Um, years ago as a grad student, I was uh, working in a middle school environment um, with one of my early mentors, Dr. Judy Belk in Portland, Oregon, It's absolutely amazing. And I'm um, just a just a ball of wisdom. And um, we were working with a student that um, was on an IEP for emotional disturbance. And um, we, in the middle of the session, this is a seventh grader, and he, we're we're talking to him, and I'm sort of observing. And he said something just completely inappropriate, sexually, right, you know, in the middle of this. And 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 I'm we're sort of wondering like where this was. It, there was no connection between the rest of the conversation. And you know what she said to him that I I stuck with me ever since. She said, "Point to the direction where that thought just came from." And he got up and he pointed out the window and there were two students kissing outside the window. And it just was this moment of like, oh my gosh, there was contextual information that fed into that behavior that I would never have known if we hadn't asked that simple question. Um, so again, I know not AAC related, but it's, I reflect on that all the time when I just assume that there's They're seeing more than we think.
1: Absolutely. And I also, I work with so many students with autism and half the time they're not looking at me, Um, but it doesn't mean that they're not attending and they're not paying attention. I feel like we've probably all had situations where we'll say something and a student will seem to be, you know, not paying attention or engrossed in something else. And then they respond. And you're like, what? You were listening? like. Um, and so I just think it's really important that we keep modeling, even if it seems like a child's not attending. Um, and to speak on the imitation piece, how else are they going to learn how to imitate? I don't think the imitation is a prerequisite. We know that there are no prerequisites to AAC. Um, and so I just don't think that that's, uh, that's valid
2: there's something else in that second video that made me cringe a little bit and so i don't know i think we should just talk about it it's the idea of how to teach the words they talk about um physical prompts and in the video there's a a gentleman sitting behind a a child and they're teaching the word i think it's like turn or no it's help the word was help and it was a but it was a toy there you turn the, the handle on the toy and in order to teach the word help the gentleman reaches over the child grabs the child's hand touches the iPad to point to the word and drag the word help from the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen. And that's how they taught the word help. And it felt so opposite of the practice that I am used to, which is more of a least to most prompting where I might, I might model help. I might model help. I might model help. And then the next time I kind of give the kid a little bit more wait time. And if they don't do it, then give them a little more wait time. And if they don't do it, maybe point to the iPad. And if they still don't do it, then say, your turn. And if they still don't do it, I might point like, right there, you push it, you know. And I've worked through this least prompting of just waiting to most prompting, which is me directly telling the student, you do it, push right here, you know, which is so different than what I saw in that video of physically touching a student and moving that's physically moving for that student which just made me feel a little, I don't know, weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I mean, what's funny is that off air, we were talking about this, but I, I didn't realize that Chris and I had the very same reaction. And so I had posted something to our, to our text thread and he started laughing when I got on because he's like, I felt the same way. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was kind of hard for me to watch. I felt kind of like icky about it because I just, I mean, I don't do that in my practice. I, I hardly ever, I don't, I don't really do that. I don't, you know, I just wait. And I think that eventually kids will, you know, if they're motivated, if you have the right motivation, they will communicate with you. Um, Like I said, I just think it's, It's this whole idea of sometimes it's a long game. It's not this instant gratification, instant, you know, success type of thing that, you know, yeah, maybe you can grab a child's hand and have them say help. But I don't think that it's really serving kids to do hand over hand. Um, And there's this whole other idea of hand under hand, which I I like the idea of that a lot more. Um, So I don't know. Right.
2: There's one other point that that they make at the very end of the second video. And the comment is that there's different approaches and that the goal is always the same, is to create independent communicators. And on the surface, that sounds right, right? Like, yeah, that's the goal, is we want students to independently communicate. But really, that is, I feel like, where we have fallen by the wayside in, or we have maybe got lost 10 to 15 years ago, is we all, we, we call it AAC but I often think that it should be called AAL because if the kid walked out on the last day uh, of all of their instruction going, I want Goldfish Cracker, and that's all they could say, they are independently communicating. They are an independent communicator. They're independently saying, I want Goldfish Cracker. That's not the goal anymore, right? The, the bar has been set much higher. It's being able to say whatever you wanna say, however you wanna say it, wherever you wanna say it, using the tools that you have available. It's about teaching language, augmentative alternative language instruction, not just communication. And I think that is something that um, uh, this video maybe misses a little bit, you know? I wanna ask the question out there in the world because I, I, you know, I've been fooled before, so I wanna keep an open mind um, to different approaches, right? Uh, how many people out there are using PECS as their primary form of expressive communication? Like, is that the functional tool that is used for adults? Like, are there adults out there using PEX? Or is it a bridge tool used for a student? Like, I used that for a while, and then I became a verbal communicator, and so now, thank you, PEX, you did your job, I am a verbal communicator. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm not sure it is a communication system that works for someone who is not going to be eventually verbal.
0: It's funny because PEX has. Um, I think it's one of the one of the systems and the acronyms certainly in our field that's maybe least understood. Right. Like I just got an email from a company the other day that was promoting their their new product, which was an it was an app, brand new, tiny little app. And they said we're totally unlike PEX based systems like proloquo to go and and TouchChat and 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 I was like that's not what those are. This is that's a fundamental misunderstanding of. Uh, I mean, yes, there are pictures and there is an exchange of information, but you are not exchanging pictures it just it just wasn't right and, um, and it sort of scared me a little bit as I was like, you're your professionals. Um, I mean, PEX was intended as a classroom communication system, right? I mean, this is something that was, it's, it was an environmental modification first and foremost. Um, and for that to be sort of carried forward into later life as a functional communication tool, I don't think makes as much sense. Now, having said that, I'm sure we'll get an email from someone that says, that's not true. I've been very successful with PEX. And I'm not, I, I don't mean to disparage it. I just mean that um, like all things we talk about, there is no one size fits all, right? And, and many Many, many things are more successful in different contexts.
2: Well, Lucas, you, you, this is exactly the question that I'd ask all the listeners. If there's an adult user who uses PECs as their primary form of expressive language, Share them with us. I want to meet that person so that I know because I've met uh, users of other systems that are adults and they use them. We've had them on this podcast, you know, Uh, we've we've done episodes with them. We've had lunch with them, you know, in some cases. So I know that some systems work because I've seen adult users saying whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. I have not seen that with PECS and I, I want to, you know? I mean, if that person exists, let's meet them. We'll have them on the podcast, right? I mean, I don't wanna speak for everybody, but we'll have them on the podcast and say, tell us how it works for you, you know? You're invited to 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 share those people with us because we wanna meet them.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, well, let's get into another question. This one's from Kristen. Rachel, I have a quick question. I'll be speaking about AAC at a gym for kids with special needs. I met with the owner yesterday, and she mentioned her use of RPM with her son who has autism. She was raving about it. I smiled and didn't say anything at the time. Have you been approached by parents to provide this kind of therapy? I'm aware of Asha's stance on RPM, but I wanted to tread lightly with this, parents, and was wondering what you would do. Ooh, there's a lot in here, huh, Rachel? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Whenever you hear the words, RPM or facilitated communication, I'm like, Um, but what's funny is actually, I had that same question from a parent this week that I work with. And she said, what are your thoughts on RPM, Uh, which stands for rapid prompting method. And it's a really, it's a really tough question to answer. Um, I always start with saying there is no evidence or research to support
0: what R- let, that bears repeating. I just want to hop for one second. They, the most important thing to understand about RPM is that there is no evidence to suggest its efficacy, either short or long term, outcomes.
2: Before before we even get to that, let me ask, what is the rapid prompting method?
0: Well, so I, I've I've had a, a a pretty pretty good amount of exposure to to RPM, which is can probably it reasonably be considered a variant of what we would call facilitated communication, which is um, another uh, term that bears its own uh, you know, discussion. Um, RPM was created by a woman named Soma, who is um, out of India. Um, having worked with an AAC development company in India for many years, uh, we were frequently in contact with those folks, and I've also um, you know, sort of crossed paths in a variety of ways at conferences and in practice in the States. I get frustrated about it, and part of the reason is because I don't agree with it, as you'll find out in a moment, and part of the reason is because I'm tired of hearing about it. So ASHA recently released a statement saying essentially what we're saying, that there is no evidence for RPM and that they cannot endorse it as a intervention standard. And the response from the creators of RPM was that it by nature cannot be studied. Like that, there cannot be a study of RPM because it is so dependent on the relationship between the communicator and the facilitator which by there is such a damning admission of its ineffectiveness that it's comical to me, right? If you say a communication system is only effective when the communication partner is facilitating it, then that's not autonomous communication, right? Period, that's it. If I
2: am the the, the communication partner and I'm working with the person that is the communication user, I might have like a letter board or something and I would move the letter board around to where I think the student, what they want to say, right? Like correct. They might have yeah. their finger pointing out and I would move it around and they uh, and spell out what they want to say, sort of like a Ouija board. You know what I mean? Is that, is that a good analogy? Much correct. Yeah, move either the
0: board or, or move the communicator's hand, um, for example. I mean, it's all about direct manipulation. Talk about, uh, you know, hand over hand, as, as Rachel's referring to earlier. Essentially, any sort of gesture or even gaze in some cases, is by principle assumed to have intentionality, right? So if a student looks at the letter A, you treat it as though they are intending to say the letter A, right? And you do that over and over and over again, um, you know. That
2: is that is huge, Lucas, what you just said, because I think the, the purveyors of RPM, have twisted the notion of presumed competence, right? right? They'll say, well, we have to presume competence, right? And you're saying presumed competence and because the student looked at an A, we're presuming that they said that they wanted to look at A. And really like you're, so there's actually been, I I heard at a conference, some people say, we shouldn't be using the term presumed competence anymore. We should presume, presume potential.
0: Presume potential, right? I like that much more. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true because that that, that is easily misinterpreted. And and the the, the issue among I many mean, issues, is like well, especially when you have facilities that maybe you know do RPM at scale, um, is you have families that maybe have had no communication success, right, with their child that all of a sudden are being shown these essays that have been written and other things using using letter boards, which of course can't be reproduced, right? You replace that that one aid or whatever in. in the same thing can, you know it can't be done. Not only are you robbing a child of their autonomy and communication, but you're also creating this awful culture of prompt dependence that I, as a clinician, have been forced to undo.
2: So Lucas, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. The question is, how do you say it? right? Rachel, you said you just had this question. How did you approach it? And actually, that's what Kristen has kind of layered into this question. It's not just about RPM. it's about how do I approach the parent?
1: we have a visceral reaction, right? When it comes to these topics, because it's, it's what we do for a living. It's what our passion is, um, giving individuals access to communication. And so I think you have to mediate that visceral reaction sometimes. Um, just with the parent that I was talking about, I of course started with this, this is not research or evidence-based whatsoever. Um, so That's red flag number one. Red flag number two is the prompt dependency. It does not make sense to spend hours and hours and hundreds and thousands of dollars on intervention that you need another facilitator to support. If it doesn't help generalize independent communication, then I I mean, I don't think it's worth spending time on. And so, you know, that's kind of how I said it. I said, I don't know that much about it um, because frankly, I don't. But those were the two things, you know, it's not evidence-based and we really need to be supporting independent communicators and prompt dependency. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't fly with me in any intervention, not just with RPM. um, I have, I had the same issue with prompt, um, the articulation intervention. I am prompt trained and the entire time I thought, Okay, but then like, how do you fade these prompts? <laughs> you know, like we can get all these wonderful elicitations of, of, of words and um, speech sounds, but how do we fade it? Um, and of course I only did the first level of prompt. So there's two other courses that I would have to take. Um, maybe, they, maybe they had addressed that at the last, in the last course. Um, but I just, I think that we have to be really careful about things that are prompt dependent. So those were the kind of two takeaways that I, I gave both this parent and then also I, I responded to Kristen, uh, but told her like, we're going to talk about this on the, on the podcast. Literally, she, she sent the message to me today and I said, this is perfect timing for multiple reasons. Um, but I think it's really delicate because these parents, they come to you with genuine curiosity and hope. That, wow, maybe this will work. Um, So we can't just shut that down. Um, You know, we have to be really delicate and sensitive because I think that these parents are just searching for hope that their child will communicate and have communication success. And so I think it's just being delicate about we
0: word. Well, it's like talking to that, that that good friend of yours from high school who suddenly is selling essential oils on Facebook, right? Or I mean, I'm sorry, I, I get angry about this thing, but uh, you're right. You have to be gentle about it. And these are people, I mean, especially for the families. My gosh, I've been there. You're in such a vulnerable position and you want so badly you know, to, to have help, but it's so critical. And, and, and when, I, when we do this podcast, right, I'm making the assumption that who I'm talking to out there is largely clinicians and educators, right? I mean, if you're listening to this right now, that's probably who you are, which is why I'm taking such a hardline stance on this because I really, truly need one to hear and understand that this is unhealthy. Um, I, the, where, the one that really broke my heart was a family that I worked with in private practice where um, there's a student in his 20s um, who had uh, not only been through RPM for years and years, but even had traveled and lived in a place to get more RPM. And he finally was getting to a point with me where he was authentically communicating. But before he would even interact with the iPad to make a selection, every time he would look over at his parents with this like anxious look for permission. And then they would nod and he would hit. Uh, you know, he would make a selection. Even if he was choosing those himself, which he was, he still needed that little last push of validation, which was heartbreaking. Um, you know, I wanted the I ah, anyway. <laughs> that, can, that, I know that is, kid right now. I weapon. know
2: many of those kids right now. Those kids oh, right. Geez, now. It's terrible. Yeah, absolutely. They'll live they'll hover over the button and then kind of look who hover over the word or the cell and look at me like, yeah. Can yeah. I hit it now? It's like y- yes, you can hit it now. You don't need for me to wait,
0: you know. Right. If only we could get kids to act that way about Angry Birds or Minecraft, I'm <laughs> kidding. But I anyway, I just um uh, uh, but in order to communicate that to parents is different, right? So, so I think it's important, as we've hit a number of times, to mention that this is, you know, we are, we are clinicians, we are medical professionals, we are licensed, um, you know, we practice evidence-based science and therefore we do not practice RPM, right? And so that's an important thing to mention. Um, but another thing, um, you know, I've said to parents is, you know, I, I totally understand. Um, it sounds like you gave that a shot and, um, you know, it's something you're considering. Tell you what, why don't you give me a chance? give me five sessions, give me 10 sessions. Um, Let me try something a little bit different. Let me put him in control or her in control of the communication. Let's see if that works. And, um, which isn't to say that I'm some incredible miracle worker here, but I haven't had that bet fail yet.
2: That's awesome, I love that. (laughs) You know, give me a chance, you know? Who's gonna say no to that? Like, okay, why don't we give this guy a chance? Let's give this person a chance. I think it's a great strategy.
1: I think the other thing that's really important to remember is that sometimes people have to do what they're going to do as, you know, it's their journey, right? And I think that, you know, whenever you're having these tough conversations with families, just making sure that you are the person that they feel supports you, um, that doesn't judge you. Because I think so quickly, parents can feel judged by parents, by practitioners. Um, And so I think that just reminding parents that they know what's best at the end of the day, like I can only tell you what I know and you have to make the decision that you feel like is best for your, for your child. So I think that it just has to come from a place of caring and understanding and empathy.
0: Well, thanks so much uh, for joining us. I mean, this was a, really a, real, a fun conversation for us. So we, we hope that um, we hope it was at least somewhat fun for all of you. Uh, certainly pretty passionate. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts. So we're going to go ahead and put up a thread on, on Facebook. Um, a couple of the things that we touched on today were pretty controversial, obviously. Um, with the communication RPM, but, um, you know, some of the, the things about PEX and everything else too. So you, know, you take a look, if you search for talking with tech on Facebook, you'll find our group chime in, let us know what you think. Um, we'd also love to, to hear any questions, um, you know, for the next time that we do a, a listener uh, question episode. And we have this iTunes things, right?
1: We sure do. So we're trying to get to a uh, 100 reviews on iTunes before 2019. So we actually have a few more from last week, which I'm really excited about. Um, so please do just take a few... St- moments if you like this podcast and leave us a review i am dead set on getting to this number of 100 right now we're at 38 so we have a little bit of a, a distance to go Uh um, we know that we have thousands of downloads um for every episode so i would just love for you guys to to go on and just take a few seconds to to leave us a review on itunes
2: yeah and you know um, i'm sorry i'm just kind of reading here i just got another question that just came in it said um Dear Rachel, Lucas, and Chris, uh, how do you subscribe to the podcast using the podcast app and how do I leave a review? Well, it's a good thing you asked that question, person who just started in. Um, basically, you just go to the podcast app and when you find the Talking with Tech uh, podcast, you just scroll down and you'll see where you can leave a review and you can give us a, a, a five-star rating or it's a, you don't know, have to give us all five stars, but if you want to, that would be awesome. And then... Um, it just, there's a little button there that says, write a review. And so you can just click on that and write a review. And so right, right there is where you can subscribe and also leave us a review is right in that podcast app. So that's how you answer that question.
0: I, I, what, how timely for that viewer to ask Amazing.
2: that. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Thanks so much for joining us this week on Talking With Tech. Uh, this was a ton of fun. We will talk to you all next week.